20 years from now, maybe, maybe sooner, probably sooner, guys like me will be sitting down telling their grandchildren about how they played thousands of hours of games. And the grandchildren are going to be like, well, you must be a millionaire. You must, you must, you must have so much, uh, so much coin that it's, a, you know, so much of this coin or that coin that it's crazy. You're rich. And, and, you're, and we're going to look at them and say, no, no, no. Back then we, we played, um, we didn't get anything. And they're going to be like, what? You didn't get anything? And we're going to be like, yeah, yeah, we just played for fun. Welcome back to another episode of Board with Nelly. I'm joined with Ed Del Castillo. Um, I said that right. I believe I did. Um, you did. You did. He's the creator of Battle Realms. He worked on Red Alert. I mean, countless projects. We did a part one where we talked about your career leading up to starting your own company, Liquid Entertainment, right? And we really wanted to talk more about you know your game and stuff after that. So I actually had some time to play it. Um, so I was hoping today we can discuss that. So thanks for joining me again and thanks for your time. Sure. Absolutely. So when you first made battle realms, you know, what was your goal? What was your concern with the RTS genre? What did you want to make better? What did you think could be done better? Sure. Yeah. Um, you know, simply put, I thought that the, the RTS genre was on the verge of going stale. I thought that there were a lot of, um, assumed tropes that weren't uh, necessarily valid. Um, I thought that there were a lot of um, just kind of things that people had come to expect and accept that I just didn't think were necessary. And I thought it was just being lazy. So yeah, good, uh, good question. Um, So for example, I'll I'll start just picking out some of the, the most glaring ones, like things that always bothered me were fire. You know, a great example of, of, you know, if you look at every RTS other than ours, fire is just a damage stage. So at some point when you're attacking a building, part of the building's damage stage is that it lights on fire. And if you never touch that building again, it would burn forever in that game. It would just, it's just a, it's, it's just a particle effect or a, or an animation. And, and that always irked me because it's like, wait, fire doesn't work like that, right? Fire. Once it gets works. going, it takes over. <laughs> Exactly. And so, so we actually created a whole fire system where um, you would, when you apply fire damage, there was actually fire damage was a damage type in the game. And when you apply fire damage, um, if it was below a certain amount, the fire would slowly burn out, right? So it would do damage over time, but that damage over time would decrease. If it was between a certain range, it was self-sustaining. So it would actually burn and keep doing damage like a poison to the building. It was like right. building poison basically right, right. until the building was destroyed. And then if it was beyond a certain range, it would actually grow. And it would actually eventually do more and more and more damage per second on the building until the building was destroyed. And the, on top of that, we also did like, as the fire was burning, it would throw off sparks. Those sparks were would actually operate under physics. And if they hit a unit, they would do fire damage. If they hit a building, they would do fire damage. And so you could see, like, if you engulfed a, a building in fire, there was a real possibility that your village would go up, right? That it would spread to other buildings. And then on top of that, 
we said, well, we got to close the loop. How do you stop fire? Water. Water was one of our main resources in the game. And so you could actually have your peasants go and bail water out of a, out of a river or out of a water source and throw buckets onto and put it out. And we had stuff like we even had rain in the game. And if rain comes, it, it not only reduces the ranges for how, it, uh, for how fire affects buildings because they're wet, um, but it also puts out fires. You know, it also reduces the damage that fires do uh, while it's raining. So we really thought about the whole thing. I mean, it's a lot like, you know, there's a there's a popular genre now, the, the survival sandbox genre. Yes, yes. Um, and and I think that what we were doing without knowing it is we were we were doing that for real time strategies, right? We were taking, um, kind of let's how do we map real world interactions to a game that traditionally has been seen as a war game and hasn't had those real world interactions. You know, another there there's two other really great examples uh, like training. Our training system is completely different from all the other, you know, in every in every other game, you see um, buildings and you plop down buildings and then people just start producing from those buildings. And we said, well, what's the more real way of thinking about this? And we said, okay, well, you build peasant huts. And yes, you know, peasants are born out of those peasant huts. But in order to get soldiers, you don't just build a barracks. You have to go and take those peasants and train them, right? And the layers of training is what upgrades them, right? And when layers of equipment getting, because there's equipment shops that you can go get stuff from, and those make the those make the peasant the the whatever you've trained stronger as right, well, or give them armor so, or whatever right. it is, right? Exactly right. And so you know we created an, a a training system instead of a just plopping them, you know, just queuing system. And I thought that that was, you know, to this day that is the number one thing that people talk about when I get fan mail and. You know, they're like, it was just so different. It was just so, and, and, um, and I think a third, a third smaller example is how we did cavalry, right? So we really took the time in, in, in most games, cavalry is just another unit. You build a stables and it produces a single unit, a single unit type, right? Or, or multiple unit types of the same tech tree, so to speak. Um, in ours, we had roving horses. You had to go gather the horses take them to the stables to domesticate them. You had to then bring a soldier or unit of some kind to the stable, and then you married them, right? And then we went above and beyond on that. We said, okay, what does the horse give a, a rider? And we started, you know, we did stuff like divide the damage amongst the horse and the rider, increase the speed of the mo- of the unit's movement. Um, it's a second you know, this- life, essentially, right? Because it, when it falls off the horse, you kind of get another chance at it. Exactly, yeah. exactly. And we do have, <clears throat> and we do have, um, so we found a bug where it wasn't working as we as we intended, but in the current version of the game, we're working on fixing it so that it works this way. But units do different layers of damage or different uh, damage amounts to the horse and the rider, depending on what they are. So, for example, the musketeer has the ability to snipe the rider off the horse, but a melee unit will probably attack more the horse than the rider, right? And so, and and we even thought all of that all the way through which is what I call closing the loop, where if the rider gets shot off the horse, the horse is there and can be claimed by either side and can be used by either side as a war animal. You know, uh, all you got to do is grab him and pull him, you know, and take him away. There's so much there. I wonder if the average player even notices how much real detail there is there. When you talk about buildings being on fire and rain putting it out, I'm like, I don't even know if I noticed how I was playing, but you did, clearly when you (laughs) built it. And is, is there a difficulty then with... 
you know, that level of realism and then also balancing it so that, you know, fire isn't too overpowered or doesn't kind of destroy the momentum and stuff like that. Yeah. Yeah, of course. I mean, it's, it's, a uh, it's tougher, right? right. <laughs> yeah. I mean, and it's, and it's in a lot of ways, it's an ongoing process. I think that part of the reason why we put battle realms back out is to continue that journey. Right. So when we launched battle realms, it was a package product, right? It was in a box and that box was immutable. Right. And, and you, we, and we had to patch to do things, you know, we had to put, you know, at that time we didn't call it DLC. Um, we were, we were launching regular, what we called battle chests where we were bug fixing and adding something. I had a, a strict policy at the company, which is we're never just going to drop a bug patch, right? We're going to drop every time that we ask them to patch this game, we're going to give them something for that. We're going to give the players something. So um, we dropped a bunch of battle chests and, and, and at some point, you know, Crave and Ubisoft decided not to support the title anymore. And so we couldn't do any more with it until finally, you know, recently we got it on Steam and now we have an ongoing development effort and, you know, we, we, uh, we just do what we can every month to, yeah, you're to working make the on game making better. The best battle, battle realms possible. That's right. That's right. And, and I look at it almost like the director's cut, right? The message behind director's cut is here's the game I always really wanted to make. Right. And I think that we're, we're on the, the, the complexity of battle realms is significant, right? It, it was not, your dumbed down RTS. It was, hey, we're going to put more realism into RTS. We're going to put more of this living, I used to call it the living world, right? We're going to put the living world into the RTS. And that takes a lot. You know, there's a there's a lot of people who will tell you that play the Battle Realms competitively that would tell you that there are certain units that are super overpowered. And we know about them and we're going to fix them, right? We're going to, we're slowly coming, going from the bottom up and we're fixing everything little by little. The one thing you talked about earlier was turning peasants into other units and then using those units to further upgrade them. That was probably for me the biggest hurdle in in kind of getting accustomed to the game. And cause I've come from StarCraft, Age of Empires, like these games don't have that mechanic. So I was like, man, this is really weird. I don't know if I like this. But then by like five hours, I'm like, this is just this is the best way to do it now. Like I feel like this is way more interesting. There's such an interesting balance between economy and and building army. That's very different from other games. Maybe some people don't like that, but it's it's without a doubt unique. Um, yeah, I would say with the exception with the exception of, of StarCraft One with Brood Wars, most RTSs actually end up distilling down to an economic war. Right. Um, I, I, I don't want to mention names, but there are, there are some glowing examples of that where you can, if you have good farms and good cultivation and 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 you have good economy, you can throw whatever unit you want at the opponent and you will ultimately win. And that is a mistake. Excuse me. I would say that the, the number one thing we were trying to do is exactly what you said is that balance. Right. And, and we even put in, I don't know if you noticed this, you probably didn't, but the, the growth, the population rate, the growth rate, the birth rate, maybe is the best way to say it for peasants is logarithmic. And so uh, as you get to a certain number, it takes longer and longer and longer for a new peasant to come out. Okay, and that number, that. <laughs> yeah, yeah. And that, cool. that asymptote, that ace, that, uh, what do they call that? That asymptote changes depending on how many um, peasant huts you have. Right. But it's there. And what that does is if you're playing a multiplayer game, number one, it means that you're going to cap out. 
right? No matter how good your economy is, you're going to cap out. And the only way to get a new peasant is going to be to use your, to train your peasants into soldiers and to use them in war, right? So you're lowering your population and thus opening yourself up to more birth rate. Um, it also means that if you get decimated in war or you get decimated in wartime, if you can manage to keep a peasant hunter to somewhere, that your birth rate is going to be uh, higher than the opponent who just decimated you. And so it gives you almost like, not only is that true to life, right? That the, the more population we have, the, the, the less birth rate there is, but it also gives this kind of catch up ability, right? For players who get, you know, early, early outed, if they manage to survive it, they can come back, right? Because I, I wanted the game to feel more like it's, a, it's about understanding the combination of units and how they interact than it is about just overpowering with numbers. Right. Were you upset about defensive RTS games in the sense of, oh, you cut out. Oh, you're good. You're back. Were you upset about how like some RTSs became very defensive and that's why you had sure. a lot of these offensive mechanics where you're literally rewarding players for attacking with with this um, whatever power that you can invest into upgrades and stuff like that. Sure. Yeah, that, that's exactly right. I mean, you'll notice that the game has no walls, right? And that was intentional, right? We, we ultimately created a defensive structure, you know, towers. And, and ultimately, even in Winter the Wolf, added units that were specifically a, about cutting, uh, cutting the power of towers, right? I, I, you're absolutely right. I, I disagree with the strongly defensive uh, RTSs because I think it, it further rewards economics, right? Because if, if you can, if you can, because it, it's, um, what do we call that? It's, it's kind of a, it's, it's too overlapping of, of two, it's, it's too much overlapping of two mechanisms because they're both geolocated in the same place right? Normally you want your economy centralized and you want your defense centralized. So you, you've doubly reinforced this behavior of, of economics by allowing a defense around the economics, right? It's far more interesting to have both of these be more of a float, right? Bo both of these be, okay, I can't really truly defend this base unless I have a really strong offense. That's the quote, right? The best uh, defense is a good offense, right? I think uh, even I see games today like Age of Empires 2 Definitive Edition, it still gets regularly patched every couple of months, and they're still unable to really remove or minimize walls. It's such a, you know, baked-in part of the game. No matter how much they nerf it, it doesn't really matter. Players always will seem to wall, and yeah. Well, and that's my, you know, I, I wasn't going to mention it, but since you did, that's my prime example of an economic RTS, right? That game, the units almost don't matter at all, right? I, I have seen players, I, I knew a player one time at who played Age of Empires who was so good at Age of Empires that he would say, pick the unit you want to die with. It's the and you could pick whatever unit, you could pick the lowest level unit, except for, you know, like a peasant, right? You know, you could pick whatever unit you wanted. And he would just, he was so good at the economics and the defense. Right. That he would just, he would be, he would be into, you know, I, I forget, you know, I forget the tech tree, but he would be into like the final stages Imperial of the tech tree. Age, yeah, right. Yeah. While you're still getting out of the stone age. Right. And, and so he was just, he just had the mechanics of the economy down so tight. 
that he that, could spam any unit once he got there, and it would any be unit. the economic any advantage unit. would be too much. That's fascinating. Exactly. And, and right. his units would die by the hundreds. Right. Right? And he didn't care. He and would he just, just reproduce. Did. Yeah. That's and really interesting. Yeah, I didn't really think about that. But yeah, the, the peasant thing is interesting because it seems like the flow rate of villagers and, and the fact that like the rice is not specifically, they don't tell you specifically how much rice and water there is. That's also very different than I noticed. You know, in, in StarCraft, you have minerals. You know exactly how many minerals right. you have. You know exactly how much gas you have. Age of Empires, you have wood, stone. Those are all like very concrete numbers, but you seem to leave that out in, in your game. Why is that? Um, because, so a couple of reasons. Number one, a, a water source typically is li pretty limitless. Right for the for the purposes of this technology level, um, and the rice, it depends on what stage of growth it is. Because one of the things we did with rice is it has its own life cycle, right? It actually starts as a, you know a little bud and grows, and if you water it, it grows faster. So instead of being digital, where it's like it's not a cluster of crystal that's worth whatever 120 or whatever or 80 or whatever it is. Um, that that value is is growing as that rice is growing, right? And it caps, but that cap is reached at a rate that's different depending on whether you're watering it with your peasants, whether it rains, whether it you know. So there's a lot of factors going into what value you're getting out of a particular rice field. You also have a cap on how much you can have of it. What was the decision there? So. A lot of it was just like, okay, well, we should only be able to store certain amounts, right? And that that cap changes depending on how many peasant huts you have, right? And if you have a keep oh, or whatever, right? Yeah, yeah, and and a keep increases it. Um, I forget the number exactly, but yeah, we just figured, well, how much could a peasant store in each of its, you know, peasant huts, right? As opposed, and again, trying to be realistic about this, as opposed to having you know the the resources kind of float up into the ether. And be these, you know, intangible things. And we had a, a, a much more punishing system originally. Like if you lost peasant huts, you lose rice. Um, and and there were some there were some of some of these things went away just for the sake of not making it so punishing, you know, because that's the real world, right? Wherever you're storing your rice, if you burn it down, it's gone, right? The other interesting part of that, I guess, is in in your game, you can technically remain in one area for much longer than you can in some of the other RTS games, like StarCraft. You can only stay in your base so long until you run out of minerals or Age of Empires. You can only chop so many trees in your areas until you have to move somewhere else. What kind of role did that play in the game as well, not having to necessarily move all the time? So what what we found is that that piece and that piece more ended up working out more than anything else because of the. So let me let me talk it and let me back up into talking the larger scale. So if you think of the life cycle of a unit, it kind of starts with resources, right? So so you gather a resource, you use it to create a unit in, in a traditional RTS, right? You gather resources, you use it to create a unit, you use that unit for battle, it dies, and that clears up your population space to create another unit to, you know, to do this cycle over again, right? Well, the challenge with that cycle is the rate at which each leg moves. So for example, <laughs> if you could only gather, at, if let's say you could gather five resource a second, right? And every unit took, uh, let's say a hundred resources to make, 
So you'd be making a unit every, in ideal conditions, you'd be making a unit every 20 seconds, right? And then it took a unit, you know, five seconds to die. Okay, yeah. What you'd have there very quickly, because of all of those different numbers, what you'd have there very quickly is a one battle game. And the reason why you'd have a one battle game is because the rate of unit production is so much lower than the rate of unit death that what you get is what you get is you're you're out of units. You wouldn't be right? able to you, replenish you, you, as quickly as you're losing. You mass up and you can't you you fight once and the battle is decided after that big fight, right? Because you just can't recover because the winner has this now avalanche that's headed your way, or or at the least has three units that you don't have. And if they're right? matching and now production, the, it doesn't really matter. That little boost they have kind of negates exactly. your production as well, right? Now flip it, right? Now say that, and, and this is perhaps where Age of Empires lands. <clears throat> Let's say you have, you're producing 20 resources a second. Your units take five resources to build. And, um, you know, they die in 10 seconds. We'll leave that one the same, right? Well, you're producing ideally four units every four units a second at now right so now it's now it's pure economy right yeah, as long as you can maintain really. that 20 unit that 20 resources a second you're going to produce arm hordes of armies and the fact that they're dying slower than than you're building them means that you'll have an infinite supply right and so where where that speed is where where the velocity of that is really determines what how that game plays out and one of the things that we immediately noticed with uh, battle rounds was that by by allowing players to kind of quote unquote hunker down in their base, we actually gave them a little more survivability in a world without walls, in a world where the entire rest of the game was focused on getting them out there. Fascinating, right? Right. right. So it was the yin yang of it. Right. It was the it was the the balancing factor that we had to give them some things that allowed them to because otherwise what would have happened is they become too spent too fast because now you're forcing their vulnerability. You're forcing their their peasants to move out into the world, which which is double forcing their units to move out in the world. But that doesn't work in our game because in, in our game, peasants and units are the same thing. Right. Whereas in other games, they're two different things, right? A collector and a soldier aren't coming from the same source, right? So in our game, you have to choose. Am I, am I building up? Am I fighting? And every unit you build is, is a loss of productivity because it's a peasant that's no longer gathering rice or water. These are fascinating things that you have to start at the top level, right? When you first started developing the game, you have to, these are the first core things you have to figure out. Once you have those figured out, then you can get into the, you know, building the units and balancing. But as a, as a producer, you have to say, okay, this is going to be the main mechanics of our game. This is the fundamental structure. And then everything else has to fall in place after, right? Yeah. So, you know, I, I'm always reminded of the, there's this old story about, I don't know if you remember any of the old LucasArts adventure games. Maybe that was before your time. I, no, um, I'm not sure, but. Yeah, so there was this, there's this famous story about, you know, LucasArts for a while was very famous for its adventure games. They were wildly popular and everybody was buying them and playing them. Or, you know, at that era. And 
the the funny story about that is that the guy who was designed to code the engine hated adventure games. And so when they made him do it, when they assigned him this task, he said, okay, but under the hood, I'm going to make, I'm not going to allow for any of the crap that I hate about adventure games. Mm, right. Reinventing and, the and, genre. <laughs> right. And in many ways, that's what we did. Right. In many ways, when, when, when I sat down with this, I said, well, I, I want, here are all the things I, I don't like about a genre I helped create. And, and those things were, many of those tropes were born of necessity and then just copied ad nauseum. And no one had bothered to reevaluate what was, what was possible with the current technology, with the current thinking. No one had bothered to think about how other things could be brought into it. You know, like the concept of putting heroes in the game, in, my, in, in our case, Zen Masters. Like, no one had done that. It's like, why? With right? their own abilities just, and stamina. Yeah, right. that's another fascinating thing I wanted to ask you. Stamina. That came, I'm assuming that came out of a need... Or in the late game, it takes forever to get across the map with these units that have a set pace. And then you are able to double click and get them to run across that. That sure. was probably one of the cooler things that I kind of immediately spotted. I'm like, yeah, this is such a problem in RTS games where at the end, your base is probably on the other side of the map. And you have these units that have a set speed. They're not going to change. And it's going to take you forever to get. So it becomes almost like a League of Legends type thing where you have to kind of sure. have a stream of units come in at a slow pace. Yeah, so so stamina was was there from the beginning as well. I mean, the idea there, every almost every choice that we made in developing this game was born of trying to create strategic possibilities for the player, right? So the the idea behind stamina was well, stamina is kind of like your mana bar, kind of like your your energy bar. It's going to be used to power all your special abilities, and it's going to be used to get you to run. And the genesis of that, in, in a lot of ways, was um, you know, it, it went all the way back to when I was 15 years old playing Dungeons and Dragons. And there's this concept in games, uh, in many games, in many different types of games, that a unit uh, or a, a, a character, a, a player, a, a soldier is as effective when they are at full health than when they are on the verge of death. Yes, that's the thing. I forgot about that. When they get lower health, they move slower. They're uh, much weak. Yeah, right. And so we wanted players, we did we thought about including morale, but I didn't like the concept of morale. This is how we got to that, was this energy was going to be something that you had to kind of watch, right? And you had to kind of care for. And it was going to have immediate always benefits, like everyone would always be able to use it to run. But then there were always superpowers that were that were powers and abilities that were going to play off of that. And that was going to be you know, it, part of it, part of getting to real again, right? If you have your your characters always running everywhere, they're going to be exhausted by the time they get to the battle. And yes, they'll be able to fight, but they won't be able to use their special abilities, right? And we even did cool things like I don't. We were the first uh, RTS to actually create three dimensional terrain. I mean, sorry, let me say it a different way: not three dimensional terrain, three dimensional trees, trees that you actually went under, right? That the canopy covered the unit. So that if you, so that you could actually ambush a, a, an enemy. Right. right. The fog of war and comes on when you're in the forest, right? Right. And well, and, and it, even if the fog of war is revealed because you move a unit into the forest, the, the canopy might, you might have placed the unit just right in the canopy so that you can't see them. So we thought that was a really cool thing 
but what but also in the forest if you're running through the trees it'll set off what we we were calling it a forest alert but it was the idea that like you know how when you see in movies like the trees the birds fly out of the trees oh right, right? that's the bird because there's some yes yeah 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 brilliant yeah. yeah and what that and what that does is it pings everybody else on their mini map so it lets everybody else know you're there but if you walk through the forest it doesn't do that so all of a sudden there's this kind of strategic layer to stamina and when do you want to run when do you want to walk when you know and that's and that's um we thought that was pretty cool and pretty amazing and pretty interesting and hopefully the play i mean i think the players do too and i think we continue to figure out more ways of balancing that so that the player feels like they can use it properly um right now you know that like for example there's a we're having a, a conversation about that right now with the team and we're probably going to make it so that units run by default and this is a this is a great example of um user feedback right because the game is no longer i've always i've always said this and and very few people understood it but i said once you launch something in my opinion you've brought other people into authorship because people have come to love your product people have come to love your game to the point where they have to write you fan mail about it because they they're overflowing with enthusiasm about it and you can't just throw out that feedback like George Lucas did, right? You you have to you have to you can't like, be narrow minded. You have to yeah, be open you have to, to incorporate. Yeah. Ah, dang it! I knew I was going to do that. Shoot, forgive me. We've got a there technical difficulty. A, We've got some spilled yeah. coffee. There has <laughs> been okay. a mosquito bugging me for the last twenty <laughs> minutes. It's and right and when I we started, had it, it finally rested on my coffee cup. Yeah, yeah, and you can imagine the rest. You can imagine the rest. There is coffee. Everywhere. If you're watching the video, we, we maybe we can get a view of the coffee. No, I'm just kidding. Uh, I don't. How bad I don't is know. Spill? It's, it, it's well, okay. this was full when okay. it started. You're good. <laughs> um, yeah, I'll have to deal with that after we're done. But let me just get let me just get the the vital electronics that were moistened, um, uh, taken care of, and I'll deal with the rest later. Holy mackerel, was that just like classic cartoon stupidity? No worries, right? no worries. <laughs> um, I think I saved my phone. Let's see. If yeah, not, put in some rice, hopefully. Yeah. <laughs> um, so uh, where were we? Where were, were we talking about? Yeah. Uh, certain elements. Oh, man. Certain elements of RTS games that you didn't like? No, we were way past that. I don't remember anymore. Oh, well, sorry. <laughs> yeah. It's all good. Um, oh, a, we were talking about, oh, we're talking about running. canopies, stamina, Making it permanently running. running. Yes, yes, yes. Yes, uh, yes. Yeah. and user feedback. Um, so, you know, a lot of the competitive players have uh, made a plea uh, that we allow running by default and walking to be the modifier key. Um, and the argument, there are many arguments. There are a lot of good, you know, and this is what I appreciate. I hate when I get comments like, this sucks. You should change it because it sucks. I don't listen to those comments. It's useless. Yeah. In, yeah. In general, I don't listen to those comments. But if someone can actually field an intelligible and reasonable and logical argument, I, I pride myself on the fact that I can I can listen to that, right? And um, and if it's the if it's you know and and this 
by the way, this goes against, you know, every fiber of what, of where we started with this product, but it's where the players have gone with the product, right? So it's, it has to evolve in my opinion. It can't just, I'm not going to be the artist and say, this was my, you know, this was like, I, I, I have this whole thing about artists and craftsmen, but I'll get into that in a minute. Um, I feel like you can be an artist until you launch something. And then you have to be a craftsman. And what I mean, and what for me is the difference. An artist does something for themselves. They put it out there and it's, you like it or you don't. That's what I did, right? And a craftsman is someone who, who has artistry, but wants functionality as well, right? So a, an artist might make a chair with nails all over it and call that art, right? But a craftsman would try to make a chair people actually sat in. Equally place right? nails so you can sit on it. <laughs> <laughs> uh, or maybe move. no nails at all. Or right? no nails maybe at all. Maybe focus <laughs> on, the, on the wood and maybe focus sure. on having a nice cushion. Or, um, and, and I think that we are at that craftsman stage where, where part of what we do is taking in the feedback of others and saying, okay, we have had this game. This game is, I mean, we're, it's almost actually the, the exact to the day. It's been out for 20 years. Wow. I mean, it's yeah, crazy, it right? It's wild, yeah. And that's, and that's 20 years of people playing this game and people are still buying it on Steam. And so I have to honor them by saying if there is a reasonable, logical, and majority opinion that this is the way the game would be better. I mean, that's the only way to give the game life because you're essentially giving people that are playing the game more value and more time to enjoy it and do it their way. So why make exactly it something right. that no one wants to play that you're proud of, let's say, or that you're, I don't want to say entitled to, but let's say that you think is you know, best for the brand. But ultimately, we're 20 years in. Now it's about you know the people that are yeah. still here, kind of. Exactly. Exactly. And 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 beyond that, it, it goes. To, it, it, you're you're absolutely right that it's about them. And and for me, it goes even beyond that to. I want to have a constant conversation with everybody, right? And I want the the. I think it's selfish for me to say, "Oh, I think I got them." Yes. Well, Thirty-five minutes in, we got the mosquito, folks. So everyone at home that was worried. And- Listening patiently, if we were going to get it, we we we, we got him. Ladies and I know gentlemen, we so got unimportant, <laughs> so unimportant, but um, but yeah, I, I mean, look, if there is one message I want my fans to always know about us is this isn't about me being right. I had an original vision, and I have things I want to do with the game, but the core principles I think around that are fundamentally the, aligned with the fan base, and and what I mean by that is. I want the game to be fun first and foremost, right? I won't do stuff like put God mode in because that's not fun. What'll happen is you'll play that once and you'll never play again. Yeah. That's right? such a waste of time I'm, for such a limited usage. Right. And so I'd much rather have interesting choices in the game, good strategy and build what someday maybe somebody will call uh, People have called it the best RTS that was ever made, but I would love that. I would love that ongoing journey to just grow and grow and grow and and to eventually kind of get the funds to be able to redo the art, get the funds to add more campaigns, get the funds to add, you know, to 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 grow it because there is 
a whole lore to Battle Realms that predates Battle Realms and postdates Battle Realms, right? We wrote a preamble, or I wrote preamble lore for for how we got there in Battle Realms, and I have at least two more games on the back end. That's crazy of wow. Battle Realms. That's something I did want to ask you about. Uh, the sure. story, Kenji and the Grey Bat. What, where does your inspiration for these tales and these civilizations in the game come from? Um, I, you know, I, I if I if I had to dig, I think there's a there's a couple of um, the, the. I guess the short answer is way too much media as a first world child. Okay. Right. I mean, I have watched as as a kid growing up. I have watched more martial arts flicks, swashbuckler movies. Uh, I've you know I when when back in the days of VHS, I actually had watched every single fantasy movie that existed at the video rental store at the time. Holy shit! <laughs> right. So like even the bad ones. Right. Right. The like, ones that no one watches, watched, the ones that are dusty yeah. in the back and you... Yeah, that, that we were like, okay, product. we've seen all of these. Yeah, we've seen all of these. Well, I guess we're watching Barbarian Brothers. All right, here <laughs> right. we go. You know, and you find gems, you find... And I played, you know, I played a ton of D&D um, and other fantasy games. Um, I still play today. Um, I was the DM for, for my entire street uh, for most of that. Um, and so... I've always loved um, creating stories, universes. Yeah, creating stories, creating worlds, creating universes. And and I really fell in love with kind of trying to figure out how you get that cinematic or cinema kind of feel in video games, right? And and, and not just in video games, in any game I was playing, right? And so we were always, I mean, we weren't the kind of, I wasn't the DM that, that followed the rules. I was the DM that, you know, like, like Sparrow, like Jack Sparrow says, you know, that uses them as guidelines, right? Um, and, and we were always homebrewing tons of stuff. I was always making up my own rules, my own spells, my own magic items. My, you know, I was always bringing new things. I remember one time when I was a kid, holy mackerel. I mean, this is a long time ago. There was a, there was some kind of TV show, Disney special. And, and it was like all about the villains, right? It was talking about the villains. It was like an hour long special. And I spent that whole special writing up magic items based on what I was seeing in the, right. like the apple of poison, you know, the woodcutter's right. axe, you know, and I was, I mean, just stuff like this. And, and I think where that leads me is I fell in love with this idea of Lamarckian evolution. And so, uh, so at the time of Darwin, there was this other guy, Lamarck, who had another theory of evolution. And that theory of evolution basically said that the genetic mutation happens during the life of the creature. So, for example, the example that I had in the in the science book that I, I learned this in was giraffes, the neck of a giraffe, right? Darwin uh, yes. evolution, yeah. Darwin evolution says that there are giraffes that are born with short, medium, and long necks, and that they have the chance of survival that's inversely proportional to that. So, the longer neck giraffes are going to have a greater chance of survival, and and thus a greater chance of reproducing that gene, right? That long neck gene. Well, Lamarck believed, and I know it's going to sound silly, but Lamarck believed that by stretching to reach the leaves, giraffes' necks were growing, and then they were passing that trait on. And I said, well, what if, you know, what if that was true? Because that seems to be how a lot of martial arts movies work, right? How many times have you seen that martial arts movie where the guy 
lives for 15 years with weights on his legs. Yes. And then all of a sudden when they take the weights off, he can jump like a thousand feet. Right. <laughs> right. And, and stuff like this, or at least yeah. that, that's what the martial arts movies were back in the day. Right. And, and I love that concept. And that's what we did when we, when I started creating the lore for, for the Zen masters, I, we kind of created this, like, well, you're either following the path of yin or you're following the path of yang. And as you follow the yin or the yang path, it becomes more and more difficult to do. It's very, very hard to stay pure shadow or pure light. And, and as a result, inevitably, you, you bond to something, right? And so, for example, Kazan was a, 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 a character who was, who was following the path and then he bonded with fire, right? And so every single, every single, you know, and one of them bonds with poison and one of them bonds with water and one of them bonds with air and one of them. So, yeah, that's, I mean, that's, yeah, you were talking about the story and, and the origin and, and what Kung Fu movies when you were a kid, a lot of them. Yeah. Did, did you get, did you get any of the yin yang? I did. Uh, I did. Path? Yeah, I did. Okay. Okay. Yeah. So, so yeah. So, so, I mean, uh, the, in, I, I, that's a really long answer to say, I think inspiration comes from being inspired. Right. And, and, and I, you know, my first book that really inspired me was the Lord of the Rings. I mean, when I read the chapter on the minds of Moria, like my heart was pounding. And, and in a lot of ways that, that set of books gave me permission to have imagination because I was growing up in a, in a situation that was very much about being pragmatic, being, you know, what can I, the very mundane, very, of the world, very worldly, right? And and that started on a journey that, you know, I, I would watch so much media, read so many, I mean, I was so into d and I was so into fantasy. Uh, and I think all those things just kind of blended together in Battle Realms. I mean, I, I wanted a fantastical, but martial artsy kind of thing, which is why the, the animations of the characters are so alive and and attempting to be unrepetitive, even though they end up being repetitive because we only had a certain amount of memory, um, you know, but trying to be interesting, even down to the detail of like, you know, for example, the archers on the dragon side, you know, they'll shoot arrows until you get up into melee and then they fight with, then they fight with martial arts. Yeah. These concepts right? are actually kind of wild because the new age of empires four game has just started to recently implement some of these features that you made in your game almost 20 years ago. Now, I don't know if there's other, I'm sure there's games that, you know, implemented along the way, but when we talk about buildings being on fire, that's a brand new feature for, or this market as a new feature for age of empires four, the archers, you know, turning into swordsmen when someone gets up close melee range, that's also being marketed as a new feature. So it's really interesting to see kind of where these things are originated from. Right. Yeah. I, I mean, if the the most braggy I can get about about Battle Realms is that I can say you know in many ways it's the Citizen Kane of of the genre right it's like if you look at it now it looks dated but there's a lot of concepts there that see and I didn't know about the Age of Empires stuff but I, I used to say there's a lot of concepts there that still haven't been implemented in modern day real time strategy and it sounds like they are being absorbed but I do have the the great story of the Blizzard. Um, Oh you, yeah, yeah I mean, you told us how Blizzard uh, <laughs> delayed their game for yeah. because when your game came out they had some things that they need to fix or change or well and they added copy. heroes. Right, that was Yeah, huge. I mean yeah. I mean the game, you know, the, the Zen Masters became the heroes of Warcraft 3 which became League of Legends. Like they became defense of the ancients 
you know, that became or Dota and then became League of Legends. It literally started a multi-billion dollar genre that is still pretty alive today. Yeah, it's it's and then you're talking about the Lord of the Rings inspiration, then you ended up working on Lord of the Rings, which is must must yeah. have been surreal. Yeah. Um and, and it it yeah. was. It it was it was and it was wonderful. It was hard though, because what they had was they had the book rights, not the movie rights. Yeah, yeah. You know, and so there was this real difficulty. Every every piece of art had to be kind of vetted, you know, to make sure that it wasn't looking like the movie. Yeah. And then there's another Lord of the Rings game that came out shortly after too that was actually based on the on the movies, right? So Right. That that came out from EA. Yeah. That's crazy. Yeah. Yeah, Vivendi uh, or Universal said that we were the only product that made uh the only un- Lord of the Rings product that made the money that year. Really? Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> oh wow. That's insane. So it was a long time ago. Yeah, it was a long time ago, but it was nice to hear that. And then, you know, there was another game, which I, which I think gets, doesn't get its due, which we did, which we did right after Lord of the Rings, which was Dragon Shard. And unfortunately finding that, I don't, I don't think you even can. No, um, you, you know, I, I've I gone to, it. <laughs> yeah, I've gone to Wizards of the Coast several times and they're just not interested in putting it back out again, but it was the Battle Realms engine um and we kind of added even more like there was a whole there's a whole new invention a whole new way it was yet another what i thought yet another hyper innovative real-time strategy style game where i don't know if you've ever played kohan um no i haven't no yeah kohan's an, an rts i don't i don't even know if you can find it anymore but don't play the second one play the first one um but it had the idea that you had these troops these squads and the squads were formed by a couple of leaders, and then and then the rest was filled in with kind of grunt. Uh, oh, they have it on Steam, War. yeah. Immortal uh, sovereignty, sovereign, sovereignty is something. Yeah, that, that, I think that's the first one. You want to make sure you get the first. It one. It is the first one. Yeah, it's on Steam. Yeah, it kind of looks like Heroes Mind Magic graphics, but yeah, carry on. Sorry. It, it, yeah, it, it's old, um, but it had this novel concept, and we kind of we incorporated that idea to make it easier because what we did was Dragon Shard has an above and a below ground. There was a whole dungeoning layer where monsters and traps and 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 you and and there was a whole above ground layer which was RTS. And the the RTS side, you had these these kind of they weren't quite heroes. They were more like uh, just like think of them like sergeants, right? Like the the important unit of a squad. And you'd you'd walk around with your squads and and you'd fight like an RTS on the on the upper ground, but then if you went down into the dungeon your squad went away and it was just your hero character and you could have a body of like four or five heroes that went around and the heroes actually had like D and D style abilities where like the rogue could stop a trap and the, you know, and, and things like this. And it was really, it was really fascinating. I mean, we jumped through hoops to get the tech to work right to the point where you could just hit a key and you could switch between the upper and lower. So we basically had two maps layered on top of each other and it was phenomenal product. We, we did, this whole thing called hyper terrain, where we had a, a mesh, a terrain mesh that sat on top of the fixed mesh. And, and like we, we used it for like sand and snow and things like this. And as you walk through it, it actually deformed the mesh and created tracks in the oh, snow wow. right. in yeah. real time. And then when it snowed, it would fill back in. So you could actually see where players had been by tracking them in the snow. And, and, and that's where we would go with Battle Realms 2 or Battle Realms 3 is we would start, we'd, bring that technology into the existing battle realms concept. Like imagine going back to the mainland and battle realms and it having, having snow 
you know, and having and having it snow and having it the, the hyperterrain kind of build up and then it banks and oh it was so awesome. wow that actually would be kind of like the Lord of the Rings scenes where they're going like Gandalf through the snow and that'd be that'd be really cool. I guess that you brought it up yourself. Um Battle Realms 2 is there any possibility that we see that and and what would that entail if we were to see it hypothetically speaking? Man, I, I would I would love to do it. I would absolutely love to do it. But I refuse to do it crappily, right? You want and, it to be a big production so, that really can, you know, finally fulfill well, we the just, fantasies of what it should be. Yeah, we. So the 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 story's there, right? The story, you know, that Battle Realms One ends with Kenji being ready to go back across the 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 break in the world and and to go back to the mainland, right? So if you want to think of if you want to imagine Battle Realms fiction in your head, the easiest way to do it is to think of Australia and Tasmania, right? And think of Australia as the mainland and think of Tasmania as the piece of land that was broken off of the mainland to save the people of that play out in Battle Realms, right? And that's where all of Battle Realms plays out in the, like that little tip off of the edge of the mainland. And the, re- the next step of the story is we're going to go back, right? We're going back across the mainland and we're going to start slowly retaking the mainland. And you start finding out about where the Lotus clan came from. You start finding out that they're kind of, they were once a, a good clan that has kind of been, was subverted because Zymoth, <coughs> excuse me, started playing with magics that were forbidden. And, um, you, you know, there's a lot of like really wonderful story about, and we even, we even started playing around with the, you know, there are other clans that players haven't seen the crane clan, the monkey clan, um, the spider clan, you know, there, there's a lot of you other, go anywhere you want with this realistically, like you, you know, there's so many options. Yeah. And so that, that's where it would probably go. It would probably be, you know, Kenji going back onto the mainland and you as the player, you know, in the multiplayer game, you'll play multiple factions, but you as the player would, we would probably figure out, and this is the only piece I haven't figured out is how do we decide whether Kenji is going to play out more serpent or more dragon? Um, we might have that be more of a dynamic shift in, inside the game, if that's possible. Um, I really liked, you know, I don't know if you played through, if you just played multiplayer maps or if you played through the story, but I just, you know, I really story. like, yeah. I really like what we did in the, in scenario one, where depending on who you attacked that made your choice for you. And it wasn't like this pop-up that said, do you want to be dragon or do you want to be serpent? And it's, <clears throat> and it's like both sides asked you for help. And if you help the, you know, if you help the bandits, you became Serpent Clan. If you helped the peasants, you became Dragon Clan. And we would probably do something like that in the in the next one. Um, but beyond that, there's a whole story about what happened, you know, where the Wolf Clan goes, where where Zymoth and the and the Lotus Clan go, where uh, you know, there's always this difficulty with Dragon and Serpent because they are two sides of the same coin. So there probably won't exist both. You'd probably pick one or the other to play. Um, and then uh, opening up new clans, right? That's um, story-wise, right? That's that's where you're going with the story. You've sat back and seen kind of where the RTS genre is and kind of where it isn't because we haven't had many RTS games. Gameplay-wise, have you have have you given any thought to where the new innova- innovations would be? So, um, yes and no. I mean, I'll, I'll say yes only because back when we were writing battle realms, we have probably like a five page document of innovations we weren't able to employ. Really? Wow. Um, 
and and probably wouldn't make sense to employ in the original version because they introduce even more interesting mechanics that just aren't part of the fundamental game and would increase the balance level. I think that, um, you know, it, just to give you one example is the the entire concept of ruins and and that building materials are salvageable, right? And so that like when you destroy a building, you could actually mine that the rest of that building or you could actually capture buildings instead of destroying them. And you could actually, you know, reuse those. Uh, and the idea that you might be able to capture an enemy building, you know, and use some of its resources that existed there that's like from a red, the enemy. That's a red alert, actually. That's a red alert mechanic then, right? Kind well, what simple. a surprise. Right? <laughs> <laughs> right. <laughs> um, and, and there was lots of stuff like that, that we wanted to do. We wanted to have, like, when the bodies die on the battlefield, their corpses remain. And and you actually can take stuff off of them, and you could actually like we had this whole whatever, right right yeah. right, and we had this whole idea of of like that what would happen is that ravens or vultures would come, right, and one by one they would they would be the things that eliminated, and that we would have the body either slowly decay and or be eaten till the point where it's gone, so you could actually see the remnants of old battles in different forms right all over the map and you know and now that now that you know we have such high powered machines we can do all of this kind of cool world filling stuff right there was all sorts of stuff about taking down trees you know burning forests that we didn't really engage in right, right? now you have and, no limitations technologically now your limitations are more ideological uh, ideologically right. with ideas and, yeah, and I think the vision would remain true to what we're where we were in the beginning, which was how do we map this more like the real world, right? How do we map this the fun parts, right? We 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 don't want we don't want to have to dig latrines and you know and deal with people showering and going to the bathroom, but the parts that actually create strategic interest to the game, right? Can people salt the earth so that rice doesn't grow back there? Can people, you know, um, you know, and and stuff like that. So I think it becomes more, just more of doing that kind of world building kind of uh, concept, because I think that the more it feels like a real world, the more the battles feel like they matter to me. So. <clears throat> As in, term, in terms of battle realms, the like the first one that you have on Steam right now, there's obviously minor issues here and there with, I don't know, like um, the delay between clicks sometimes and, Sure. Small stuff like that. Are you working towards fixing those things? Because I imagine that's probably a nightmare to fix these things twenty years later. Yeah. No. So. So actually, I got I got a lot of good news on that front. Um, so we have recently undertaken the uh, laborious task of updating the code base to the most current DirectX. Wow. Nice. Right. Very cool. And yeah. so so for for a long time we were limited by the tools. We, we were literally working in 2001 for the last two years. That's crazy. Right? Yeah. We were using the old battle realms tools, the old battle realms, you know, everything like you were suffering, we were suffering all those, those limitations. And, and as a result, we couldn't do things like touch the art. We couldn't do things like, you know, like we tried to fix the special effects and it just, so we're hoping that with this, I mean, it's almost done. <clears throat> we're hoping when it gets fully updated, We'll be able to readdress the tool set. We'll be, and that's the next step, right? Is getting the tool set to a place because we built everything proprietary. You got to remember back then there weren't a lot of these 
middlewares that there are now. Yes, it's so much easier to create anything now if you're an individual, if you have a smaller team, right? Yeah, so like, for example, our particle effects system, proprietary. You know, the, the entire game engine, proprietary, right? There, there isn't a whole lot of uh, other stuff going on there. And, and so we were hamstrung. And so I'm hoping that with this update, we'll be able to address it better. Um, did I answer your question? Yeah, you did. You did. You answered it. No, that's awesome. I'm really excited for the future. Um, we could talk about Battle Realms probably forever, I think. And I, <laughs> I, I hope that maybe one day you consider maybe making content because I think you have a lot of interesting stories and maybe I'm alone, but I think there's other people that would like to listen to, you know, behind the scenes stuff, your thoughts in general on RTS games. I don't know. I don't know if that's something you've even considered. Yeah, so no, I, I, well, I, I do, I do think that, um, I do think that if the funds come, it will happen. Right. I mean, there's studios that, sorry to interrupt you. There's studio, there's oh, a studio that I'm following that I'm hoping to have an interview with in January. They're basically, working on a game that's very similar to Heroes Mind Magic, kind of in their own style. And right. they post videos every day, like literally, I don't know, one to three minute videos. Hey, this is the new texture engine we're working on. Hey, like this is what we've like we're working on the character. And, it's, and to me it's fascinating to watch the journey of of this game that, you know, started in I think twenty nineteen. And uh, to see where it's come today, how they improved all these things. And it's it's kind of like a mini documentary on a video game being made through short little videos, daily updates, whatever you want to call them. So I don't know, something like that would be really cool. Maybe for the fans, I don't know if it's something you've even considered, but yeah. I'll, I'll talk to the team. Maybe maybe they, they want to do something like that. The, the challenge that we have is that the team is like all over the world, right? It's a small team and, and it's all over the world. So we're, we don't have this like cool, like, oh, hey, here we are at the office kind of yeah. thing going on. Here we are, a $20 million startup uh, that we've been funded. Right. We've got this nice office where we can record and everything. Um, right. There's one thing that we did. I, I don't know if you have time for it. There's something I wanted to ask you with NFTs. We want to talk about future of gaming. Sure. I don't know if, you know, what your wow, thoughts you're, are. Wow, you're keeping on a, on a good, tight schedule. I like it. It's like <laughs> right at nine. You're like, boom, let's talk about NFTs. That's um, my four, 41st episode. So, yeah, getting better. Yeah. So, so yeah, no, I, I'll, I'll tip my hand on that on that side. I... Um, I'll make some really bold and dramatic statements there that that would that will rouse your your fan base. No, um, I'm excited. So yeah, tell so me we'll where to invest my back. money. By the way, that'd be great if you can tell me which. Oh, that is, that is tough. <laughs> yeah. That is tough. Uh, my money is currently in Ether. So in if Ether, that's okay. if that, um, which is the coin of Ethereum. Okay, good. We're I'm there. I'm with you. So yeah, because everybody calls it Ethereum, even though it's real name is ether um ethereum is the network yeah, yeah that it, right that it lives on the blockchain network that it lives on um let, let so let's make a hard break let me let me let me finish the thoughts on on battle realm yeah, please. i would say you know I, I i just a closing thought on battle realm because uh, i always like to you know i always like to say i am blown away by the fan base of battle realms. I'm blown away by all the fans. I'm blown away by the fan mail. And I, I never thought that I would see the day that one of my games is being played 20 years later, as avidly, as far as I can tell, as it was when it launched. And that is, it's a, it, I, I didn't even dare put it on my bucket list, right? Because I never thought I would get that. And, and so that's a huge gift. And I want to say thank you to all the fans that play it because 
man, you guys are the best. Yeah, right? a lot you of them really are be watching this, so that's. I mean, I, that's you're you saying that you know I'm have a hard <laughs> cut. You have a storyteller in you that needs to have a definitive ending to the story. The the sunset scene. You need to say your part, and then we can move on. <laughs> there you but, go. but if I can help in any sense with content or ideas or how you can go about it, okay. let me know. I'd love because I. I I, I have no invested interest in this besides obviously just getting your content out there because I think sure. I'll, I'll be the one watching anyway. So it's like, might as well. Yeah. Cool. Well, if that if that becomes a possibility, absolutely. I mean, All right. cool. we just should keep talking, right? Yeah, of course. <clears throat> so uh, so we go from the current, the present day of, of games uh, or at least of my games to what I think the future is. So now we're going to talk about what I think the future of gaming is, and I'll start by making a few bold statements. Um, I think that 20 years from now, maybe, maybe sooner, if probably sooner, guys like me will be sitting down telling their grandchildren about how they played thousands of hours of games. And the grandchildren are going to be like, well, you must be a millionaire. You must, you must, you must have so much, uh, so much coin that it's a, you know, so much of this coin or that coin that it's crazy. You're ri- and and you and we're gonna look at them and say, no, no, no. Back then, we we played, um, we didn't get anything. And they're gonna be like, what? You didn't get anything? And we're gonna be like, yeah, yeah. We just played for fun. And they're gonna look at us like we're talking to them about a horse and carriage. Right. Right. Instead of a car, they're going to look at us like, are you dumb that you just played this video game for nothing? Because I do believe I believe and I believe we've been headed this way for years now. I think the first seismic shift in this was gold farming, gold farming and wow, gold farming and World of Warcraft. Right. Yes. For people that don't know, can you elaborate just a little bit what what that entails? Sure, sure. So when so World of Warcraft was an MMORPG that was so incredibly popular and played by so many people around the world that what happened was places in the third world began or places in developing nations began putting together warehouses of people to play the game. And they would farm, they would just basically play the game for the items and the gold they could acquire during a typical workday. And then they would pool it by giving it to a central account. And then that account, you know, kind of started uh, advertising online, started advertising all over the place and ultimately advertising within the game itself um, that, that they were selling gold for real world dollars. Right. And, and so you, you know, it started where it was almost like a dollar, a, a gold, Right. And then it became, and I don't know what it is now, but it, it you know, the inflation of it, ultimately it was like, $100 for 10,000 gold or something like that, right? Um, and they would hand it off. And and Blizzard did what I consider the worst possible, made the worst possible choice here, which was instead of bringing it into the game and being the people that sold the gold, which would have made them billions, they were the people that spent all of, they spent billions trying to stop that from happening, right? 
They just didn't have the same vision that, for example, Steve Jobs did, right? I remember an interview with Steve Jobs when they were talking about, this was back when everybody was pirating music because no one liked buying an entire album. And Steve Jobs said, look, I believe that if I can sell music for 99 cents a track, that it will, that many many people who feel, many people who are pirating now will stop because they want to do the right thing. They just don't have a system that works for them. They don't want to spend 15 bucks on an album, right? They want a dollar a song. That's really what they want. And he was right. He was absolutely right. There were always going to be pirators, but I think by and large, there were a lot of people who were in a gray zone who went over to just buying iTunes. I mean, the revenues of Apple prove it. Right? Yeah, of course. That there, was, that there was an absolute market for this, an absolute place for this to happen. It's the same thing here. They were banning people who were selling their swords on eBay and selling their accounts on eBay. They were banning people who were right, selling yeah. gold. It's just ban, 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 ban. And what they should have done, Great ecosystem this was the robbers, earliest right? sign. Yeah, this was the earliest sign that what people wanted is to do this, to be, to have interoperability between players, right? And I, I'm always reminded, I'm going to just tell another quick story. So there's this quick story about Disneyland, you know, when it was first open, you know, Walt had an apartment in Disneyland above the fire, fire department. And the groundskeepers come to him, say, Walt, Walt, we got a problem. We got a problem. Please come see. So they drag him out to a spot in Disneyland and they say, look, look, look. And what he sees is a bunch of people walking through a garden and they go, what do you want us to do? Do you want us to put up signs? Do you want to put, to put up a fence? And he goes, I want you to pave it. They're showing you where they want to go. Right. Make it easier for them. Right. Yeah. Right. And it's the same thing here. We, we as players have been showing the game industry where we want to go for decades now, right? We want to be able to buy an AK-47 in Call of Duty and potentially either be able to sell it to someone else when we're done playing Call of Duty or to keep it and be able to put that AK-47 in Grand Theft Auto when I play. Right, that's where NFTs come in. That's what, yeah. And so, yeah, so so long-winded way to get to that. This is where NFTs come in. What, what an, and for those of you who aren't, up, up on this stuff. Yeah. An NFT is an, what is called a non-fungible token. All of that is just fancy words for a thing you get to keep and you get to own apart from this. Right? And it's funny because even before non-fungible tokens, I had I had this um I was pitching a, a Battle Realms card game and one of the highlights of that is and this is before I knew to call it what non-fungible tokens was you get to keep the cards. Right. Digitally. Right. Any card you yeah, any card you buy and own, we're gonna give you and you have the rights to it. And we were gonna create at the time, we were gonna create serial note serial codes for every single card. Like like you know, like the old serial codes that were used to like like CD keys to open up a, a security key for uh like we were gonna give you security keys for each and every asset. Literally like an address just, now, the Ethereum address or whatever right, it may right. right. Fascinating. Wow. So so the idea behind a non-fungible token is that it it is something you get, it's a digital asset, it's a digital thing, but you get to own it. And you get to own it outside of whatever thing it's being used for at the moment. Right. So you get to own this piece of art and you get to sell it and trade it, just like it's a real world thing. And this is a huge when you combine that with blockchain, which for those of you who don't know. 
blockchain is a technology. The part you need to know is it's a technology that prevents people from duplicating your stuff. Right. right? It prevents people from stealing your stuff. So the combination of not NFT or non-fungible token and blockchain have really cracked the nut on digital ownership, right? Yes, somebody might have a copy of what you have, but you now own the deed that says, hey, this is mine. You can't own it. You have a fake, like, like having a print of the Mona Lisa, right? You know, you don't have the original, you have a fake. So I think that what's going to happen, and as a matter of fact, that's where I spend all my time now. I spend all my time on, on NFT crypto games, right? And when you guys do a dive into this, you'll see there are entire nations, there are entire third world countries for whom playing a, what they call a play to earn game has become a career choice because there is enough money to be made in a play to earn game that they can actually have a more viable career than being a farmer or being a street vendor or being a blacksmith or whatever it is that more money means nothing because of hyperinflation or whatever it may be where you have exactly digital assets exactly. that actually does have value worldwide. And so we are, we are on the, yeah, we're on the verge of an enormous shift in our technological understanding in the same way that our parents barely understand computers. There's going to be a time where many people in our current generation barely understand decentralized finance, non-fungible tokens, fungible tokens, uh, attention token. I, I mean, all of it, right? And and you know, and staking and all these other words that probably mean nothing to your to the people listening to this. But not there, there is people a, don't understand these terms. I think because they're not. Yeah. Yeah. Well, there's some cryptos. <clears throat> I mean, but what it comes down to is. We are vast, we are very rapidly approaching a world where governments don't control the only source of money, where governments are the only people who control money, right? And we're moving towards, you know, I've, I've said, you know, a lot, I've had this conversation a lot with people. And, and I said, this will be known as the age of transparency. This, you know, a thousand years from now, when they look back on this age, it's going to have one of two names. It's either going to be called the plastic age or it's going to be called the age of transparency, is my. Is my is my claim because what's happening is we're getting to a point where few people controlling everything is going away. <clears throat> we're getting to a point where there's a whole democratization of everything happening, right? And and things like Kickstarter show us that, right? Once upon a time, only very moneyed people invested, right? Once upon a time, you couldn't go to GoFundMe and ask for a handout, <clears throat> right? And get a million dollars for a good idea. Um, and, and what we're going to see is a slow progression because the industry at large is going to resist it, but you're going to see new people, which is how it always happens. New people coming in. I mean, if you, if you guys haven't looked into this, you should look into like Ember Sword and, um, Upland and these people are selling virtual land in a virtual game yeah. and they're raising millions of dollars. Insanity. Mm. Off of these virtual land sales, right? And it's phenomenal because the people who are buying this land actually own it, right? They they have a, a blockchain record of this non-fungible token, and they have and and we're going to see this. This is going to play out all over the world in men, in so many ways that we don't even understand yet. 
the concept of a of a contract happening on blockchain, right, is going to redefine the world because there isn't going to be when you're doing legal by code, because that's what a smart contract is. That's what a contract on the blockchain is. What it, what a contract on the blockchain is is basically a, a software program that says if you pay me five hundred thousand dollars, you own this plot of land. For people that might not understand this, the, the what, what the real world purpose of these smart contracts, the way I see it at least, is getting rid of a lot of third parties that you currently need in, in life. You need a real estate agent, you need a bank, you need a stockbroker. So the goal of smart contracts would be to get rid of these um, entities with really smart code that can basically have two users easily interact and transfer a trade, whatever it may be with each other. But it also, it, the, the nuance to that though, you're absolutely right. He's 100% right, folks. Um, but the nuance to that is it also removes interpretation. Ah, okay. Yeah, brilliant. Right. And that's, so that's huge. and so you do away with a vast majority of bull honky right. lawsuits. Right. Right. You clean the legal system in a way that is just going to be like jaw dropping. Yeah. If we can turn the legal system into ones and zeros, that'd be that'd be something else. But getting back to games, if you look at the if, at this growing genre of play to earn games. What you see is, especially just go on to YouTube and type play to earn, right? Um, what you see a lot of is people looking at now their time in a whole new way. The, the, the metric is no longer just fun. The metric is fun and return on investment. So wait a minute. I can have fun playing this thing and make money? They have streamers are going to be billionaires. <laughs> Play and some of them already are. Some yeah. of them are. I mean, you yeah. you have ether billionaires. You yeah. have Bitcoin billionaires. Yeah. I mean, these people are <clears throat> are interested in in not only playing a game that is fun, but also that makes money. And that's a whole new dimension that we're not seeing. And I think it's the evolution of our pro. I think it's the evolution of games. And I think actually what it's doing. Is it's doing something that I I have been in the consulting business for so long that I see it everywhere, you know this term gamification. Unfortunately, when we overuse a term, it, it gets stale, but it's absolutely happening everywhere, right? The idea that things don't have to be painful to interact with, the idea that they can be fun to interact with, right? Even if you're doing something that's mundane, right? We're seeing it everywhere from the little song that my washer and dryer play when it's done. You know, to the, to, I mean, that's gamification. It is, that's right. trying to give you, instead of being, you know, that's gamification of that little sound. That's a celebration of being done. Um, so what we're seeing, what we're going to see in the future is people looking at their time as more valuable, which I think is so awesome. I think that the future is so bright. I only wish I could be around for the ultimate manifestation of it. Um, but I think we're going to get to a place where we're not wasting our time anymore. Right. Where we're really honestly and truly looking at what am I getting back from? This? Right. And, and we're going to metric games, not just on how fun they are, but on what I earn when I play them. I just like to point out for anyone that's listening this whole time, Ed has, um, there's a massive shining light as he's been talking. You, do with that what you will, but I feel like it's almost like a prophecy type 
species had. Like a light came out of nowhere and it's super bright. And he's, as soon as he started talking about NFTs, right. and... <laughs> this one, right? Yeah. yeah. Uh, it is, it is the sun. Yeah. <laughs> well, I, what, does, is there something that's lost there with that though, with, with the beauty of games and art and enjoying it just to enjoy it? Is there, is there drawbacks to this new age, I guess? I, I think like with all things, it will be a spectrum, right? And that spectrum will have everything to do with how much you care about it, right? Like a great, I don't know if it's a great example, but I don't know if you've seen the latest Netflix uh, animated series, Arcane. I've heard of it. I've not seen it yet. No. Dude, it is the best animation on the planet, in my opinion. It is amazing. I'll look into it. My and I wasn't that interested. And I wasn't that interested because it was League of Legends. And I'm like, I don't want to watch something about a video game. It's going to suck. Right? Because they usually do. Especially um, League of Legends. No, I'm just kidding. Yeah. Right. No, it, it's beautiful. Really? It's absolutely beautiful. Okay. It's absolutely gorgeous. And it didn't have to be. They could have said, well, it's League of Legends. Only League of Legends players are going to play, are going to play it or watch it. So let's just make something, you know, let's just farm it out to some offshore uh, animation company and let's just, you know, get it done. Their fan base and just do whatever. Right. They yeah. Dude, it's, it's beautiful. Even if you don't know anything, which I don't know anything about the league of legends. Yeah, same. Right. And I, and I really loved it. I mean, I thought, and, and I loved it from a technical perspective as much as, you know, and an artistic perspective. Right. It just, it was so good. It was so, the story was good. The, the animation was phenomenal. The art was just, the art, the artistry behind it. And so in the same way, I think, yes, you're right. There's going to be some shitty slot machine games that, you know, that are, Hey, we're going to give you a huge ROI. And then we're going to go through that. Cause <laughs> and we're going to go through a casino moment, right? We're going to go through that casino era of people trying to get you to just buy their game because it has an ROI. A quick buck, as they call it. Right. But I think the cream will always rise. And I think there will be people who don't lose that artistry, right, for it. And don't lose the 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 desire to have the game be fun, really fun. Right. And I do think that having something be really good is as compelling as having it make money. Right. And people and people will be driven by both. So I see it as an and not an or. I don't think there's... I been, gotcha. That's always like that. Yeah. It's, it's always blurry, right? It's never yeah. black and white. I mean, look at the whole free-to-play. This this was mimicked in the free-to-play genre, right? There's there's stuff that's just crap, but it's hyper-addictive. You know, and, and, and I would say that, for example, Clash Royale, which is one of my favorite games, is super fun. And I play because, for me, it's super fun. And And if I was earning less than and my choices were to play that or play, I don't know. I don't want to pick on anybody. Farmville or Diner Dash. I'm, you I'm know, sure they're I probably, watching this just steaming. Don't worry. Yet. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I, I probably would pick Clash Royale still. Yeah, that's fair. I'm really curious to see what happens because I, I, my original content was around FIFA and, and that kind of I stopped doing because I really didn't enjoy it. But there's a lot of companies that are coming out with these uh pay to game or whatever what did you call the model pay to earn pay to earn sorry 
And they're bringing yeah. that into the football video game space, which I'm curious to see what will happen because it's a space that's been dominated by EA for so many years and they hold such a massive monopoly. So I'm hoping that, I don't know, this is one of the few routes to a solution to... to Absolutely, yeah. it's a solution. I mean, think about it. It's like, here, here's... Let's imagine that, you know, EA bought the NBA license, right? Well, because the NBA is the NBA, they paid whatever, billions, millions. You know, they paid millions of dollars for that thing. And then another game comes out that's as good as that, but has no license. You know, that let's say Take-Two does it, right? Take-Two does, Take-Two likes to compete with EA. So Take-Two puts out a, a Hot Shots basketball game. But Hot Shots basketball game, you get to own the jerseys that you buy. You get to own the, uh, and, and hey, guess what? Uh, depending on how well you play, you might actually earn either. You know, because uh, it there's an there's an ether entry fee for tournaments, and you win a portion of that ether if you win the tournament. I that's guarantee exciting. you, that's yeah. that's a nutcracker. That's that's, that's a monopoly buster. Yeah, yeah, because there's Cause not who, much else going to change that. <laughs> the monopoly is so massive, and yeah, yeah, and there'll be some people who want to have Stephen Curry and and want to have you know LeBron, and so they'll play the the license title. But then there'll be some people who are making $5,000 a week on, and, and that is very compelling, right? Especially to a young kid who can't legally work, you, right? You, and so, yeah, if you don't know, by the way, the FIFA, uh, EA has lost the official title FIFA. So uh, next year it will be called something else. So that's pretty, because FIFA was asking for $1 billion. Holy mackerel. <laughs> so EA's like, ah, you know what? I think we're okay with that from now on. Like, that's a lot of money. Yeah, just to call it FIFA, and then that's—I don't even think that includes like paying licensing fees to individuals and, and teams, because I don't think you just buy a FIFA license and you have licenses to like hundred different leagues. You have to pay for those individually. They're just paying for like the World Cup. It's crazy. Ooh. It's a different ball game. They're playing. We're playing with monopoly money. They're playing with real money. I feel or, or something like that. Yeah, yeah. No, that's crazy. And and I and I I find that interesting. Even especially since there's this whole underground movement of little easy to play free games, right? I mean, like I see it with my kids all the time. They're playing like some small yeah, soccer game, yeah, you know, or some small football game, retro football or something like that. And and they're loving it. They're having a great time, right? And that shows me it's like. You put a play to earn mechanic on retro football and it's like, holy, holy moly. You know, I just recently started working in the, and I'm working for a crypto tax company. So I've just barely gotten into, I don't know, six months ago, I got into crypto. So I have a little bit of a knowledge to, to be able to have this conversation, but I think that's, I don't know, there's a lot here we can discuss. This could be its own thesis. I think. Like sure. this is Yeah. I mean, the, the, the summary, the summary is that I, that at least me, I'm putting my career in that in that area because I do believe that this is uh, not only does it does it increase the value of the time that a player plays, but it also is is a democratization, right? It's 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 the next you know it for those people who are listening to this who live in countries with hyperinflation, right? This is your way out, right? And that, they see it that way, right? It's like the, the cryptocurrency is controlled by no one, right? It's a float, like a stock. I already right? know and people that live in, I know a friend that lives in Venezuela, and she tells me that they have 
Bitcoin farms everywhere. Like everyone, excuse me, is, is mining Bitcoin or whatever the crypto is. So sure. for them in a place that literally their currency almost means nothing. Sure. They, they see it as, as, a, as a way out, I guess, like you said. Yeah. And, and think about the power of that. I mean, think about the power of like, I don't have to worry about converting my money. Yeah. Right? Imagine being able to travel anywhere in the world with Ether. Of course. It's huge. Right? Or, it's huge. Or with, or with Bitcoin or with whatever, right? Um, you know, that's, that concept is so scary to governments. <laughs> like that concept is so, like, I, I just had one of my team just moved from, is moving from Argentina to Spain because he just can't deal with the Argentinian. He's a native Argentinian and he can't deal with the Argentinian economy anymore. Right, he needs to go somewhere where the That's economy like me, is more my, stable. Like Canadian economy. I'm also in Spain, so maybe we'll see him there. <laughs> <laughs> the Canadian economy sucks. Ed. Don't, don't does it? <laughs> Not great, but yeah. Anyways, yeah, I get. I I mean, I lived in a country where they did have that moment of hyperinflation. I used to live in Eastern Europe and Yugoslavia, and there was a time where you could literally bring a basket of money. To a, to a grocery store and you couldn't buy a loaf of bread because the money I, I think my parents still have it's like a one million whatever our currency was oh, too. it's crazy it's, yeah. it's like you look at it and you're like holy shit like this is this is a thing that can happen this maybe the pandemic or whatever you want to call yeah. it, this climate gave people a real reality check into what existence really could be how, how you know sure. how rough it could get and how important these things are they might be essential not just you know, some people buy cryptocurrencies and think, oh, you know, it's going to be a good investment. I can flip it or whatever. But other people are looking at it. Hey, this is might be the future of currency in general. Yeah. I mean, I, I look at it that way. I yeah. actually I actually believe that it will end up going that way ultimately. But I'm I don't think that will happen in my lifetime. Really? I think that's way down the road because you have to have all the people that are going to resist it die. Right. right. You have to the as, dinosaurs, as Steve Jobs, as they call them. <laughs> Yeah, I mean, because what happens, you know, it, we see it over and over and over again, right? The more electric cars we we build, the more gas companies will try to hike up the price of gas, make gas relevant, um, and and fight against adopting these new technologies. And the same will happen with governments. When governments feel like they're starting to, like, that's one of their their real controls, right? It's how much money am I printing? What, what interest rate am I determining that is, is here, right? And imagine not being able, like for a government to not be able to control that. Oh my God, that, that, that blow, that, they'll resist that to their dying day, right? They'll, they'll, we'll go through laws against it. We'll go through, you know, things, silly things like Steam saying they're not going to support NFTs, you know, <laughs> right. and things like this. It's like, okay, Steam, you just gave an opportunity for the rise of Steam clone, right? Uh, that does only support NFT games but um yeah you're gonna see all of the you know what is it that that the um genius starts uh, i forget i forget how it works first like when when a genius idea is born first everybody thinks it's crazy then everybody wants to kill it then everybody adopts it as genius right so we we haven't gone through the everybody we're still in the insane phase it's the Tesla right. AC current. Then everyone, oh, DC is the only thing. And then everyone. Yeah. Let's kill <laughs> elephants. Let's show you yeah, how, right, how AC right. can kill elephants. Right. Right. It's exactly it. Right. And, and that cycle has to go. We have to go. I feel like I'm going to see that cycle, but I'm not going to see the other end of that cycle. So I'm going to see the, the resistance part of that cycle. 
but or maybe I will. Maybe I'll get lucky enough to 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 be able to travel the world on Ether someday, right? Or on whatever bit or whatever currency ends up being the ultimate, you know? Because I think one will rise. I don't think it's going to be Bitcoin. I think Bitcoin will become. Um, I think the the current modern thinking is that Bitcoin's like gold, yeah. And that it it's it, like it, it is or it's on yeah. It, well, it's yeah. become it's become like the reserve currency. It's become the currency that everybody backs against. Like they look at it and they they use it to judge the the stability of the market. Right. It won't actually be usable, or well, it doesn't have as many usability features. It's not right. functional. It's well, like and, that and chair the with nails you talked about. And the challenge is, like gold, it's become rare enough that you don't you're not you know. Um, what, what do they call the, the pennies in Bitcoin? You can only get a few Satori now, you know, instead of, you know, instead of an entire, you know, like, it's hard for people, people to, to work in Satori as opposed to in Bitcoin, because Bitcoin is the word, right? Just like Ether, you know, the, the smallest piece of Ether is called Way, right? And, and, and we're going to get to a point where we have to be talking in dollars and cents, or we have to be talking in some equivalent of that, that people can own multiples of a coin right and you the daily you know and not worry about you know how many exactly or how many decimal points i'm going to just buy a loaf of bread exactly <laughs> like that that the whole the whole concept of having to be in the decimal points just that alone they, they don't realize how unuser friendly that is yeah it's really bad right and 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 how like people just aren't they don't do the math they, they're not gonna no one does it i mean it's hard for me it's like it's a human thing how many zeros yeah exactly right you want to think in integers Right, you don't want to think, or sorry, in in whole positive integers, not in in what is functionally almost negative. Right. Alrighty, we had some tough technical difficulties, but we're back. I think we're kind of towards the end of the podcast. We talked about battle rounds. We talked about the future of gaming. You know, NFTs. We talked about all kinds of stuff. Ed, anything else you want to conclude, summarize? No, just you know, thanks again for for doing this. I mean, this is really great. I mean, just. It, it feels so natural talking to you and, and uh, it's just, it's just been a wonderful time. Beautiful. That's, that's the best I can hope for. The time flies by when you're here and uh, you want to come back, but I'll leave links down below to battle realms. If anyone wants to purchase it, uh, the steam link, but thanks again for stopping by. Thank you for having me.